0: Welcome to the Sprocket Podcast, where we are simplifying the good life. I'm Guthrie Straw.
1: <laughs> and I'm Aaron Flores, broadcasting from the People's Republic of Portland, nestled in the heart of Cascadia.
0: We're the show that brings you somewhat irreverent conversations about the intricacies of thinking locally with a global perspective and enjoying the best that life has to offer along the way.
1: Covering bicycling, trains, transit, adventures, and life hacks. And today, 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 riding in another country
0: that's right i was about to
1: say like across the ocean and that that's um that's misleading if you were
0: on an exercise bike as you were traveling and you (laughs) went across the ocean you would technically well not technically but you'd be in spirit traveling across the ocean yes you well first off we should introduce our guest (laughs) (laughs) we've got ed piper here in the studio um ed is a long time friend of mine we grew up and went to high school together and uh he's recently been in japan so I, I don't get to see him that much anymore but he was gracious enough to come in and talk about his experiences uh cycling and also just kind of like living in japan um and for our listeners have we have we said this on the show yet is it still a plan in the air
1: it's still somewhat in the air.
0: somewhat in the air well i've I booked...
1: come hell or high water
0: yes come hell or high water uh with any luck we will be visiting at
1: least one of us yeah if not both that's safe to
0: say i think that's safe to say yeah
1: Um, (laughs) uh we'll
0: figure it out in the next three months right now
1: everyone listening is like what what the hell are you talking about just tell us
0: (laughs) well you gotta bait the hook a little right right uh i will be traveling to japan and visiting not only ed but our friends uh tad and tack in scuba uh listeners of the show will remember them from our rice cooker ride uh in addition to hanging out with ed um but Ed had purchased a, a bicycle in Japan, and I remember we had we had been trading a lot of communication, uh, just kind of like tips and tricks, and just kind of navigating the the world that is, uh, you know, buying a bike is already difficult enough at times, let alone trying to do it in a different country. Oh, yeah. It's got a whole other layer to it, I'm, I'm assuming. Um,
2: but yeah, we'll get to explore. Ed, if you want to talk, just tell us a little bit about yourself
0: and what you're doing overseas these days.
2: All right, well, I'm Edward Piper. I moved to Japan uh, about a year and a half ago to teach English. I'm teaching in elementary schools in Kawagoe, in Japan. And it's great. Um, I did volunteer teaching before, but this experience is very different. And uh, I quickly found out it was the best thing ever. It's a lot of fun. Ever? Wow. Yeah, <laughs> actually, it sounds strong, but. Um, when you go into work on Monday and you're greeted by hundreds of smiling faces, you know you learn not to fear Mondays. So. <laughs> I, so, can, I can so exaggerate like a the, little bit. It's the American
1: colloquialism of having a case of the Mondays is totally different. It means yeah, something least, totally uh, different over
2: there. For the last year, it has not applied to me. Mm. It's been really good. So Right on. Yeah, it's a little strange. But I mean, you could say a lot of things in Japan are strange. Or even just different. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of the same thing. Oh, yeah. Okay. Sure. Yeah.
1: I'm I'm kind of hooked on this uh, YouTube series of uh, things Japanese tourists find strange in other countries. Oh, okay. And uh, the one thing that is brought up about Americans or, or American culture is the size of drinks.
2: Mm. Oh, yeah. I think people talk about that even if they haven't left Japan. But I see it in the cups. The largest cups I've seen in Japan are in the airport on the way out. If you want souvenirs, oh, <laughs> so you can get your American-sized Japanese-themed cups in the airport.
1: Over at the airport, at the yes. uh, at the duty-free shops. <laughs> yes, basically, <laughs>
2: nice. So, like the the super size me doesn't exist as as much. It seems. Yeah, but um, I mean, you can find a lot of things in Japan, but um. The United States has a lot of variety, which you appreciate if you live outside of it. Uh, The accessibility of what you can buy is really great here.
0: Okay. Um, Could you give us some examples of just kind of what you consider maybe things that would take us every day for granted in the U.S. that you might not have in Japan in relation to that?
2: Mm. Well, one thing I took for granted is uh, shipping. If you buy something online and you have it shipped to you, it's very convenient in the U.S. And it's not necessarily convenient in other countries. Even in a country like Japan, the shipping will often be a lot less convenient. Um, It can take longer to arrive to you. And when it arrives, it will have a delivery window. And your choice of delivery window may not be when you're home. And you can't get it if you're not home. Oh, Legally, you have to always be home to get anything uh, if it's not a letter that will just fit in your mailbox. Mm. So you'll get missed slips. You have to call up the delivery driver or um, go to their website and ask for another day for them to come out. And depending on when you work, it can be kind of difficult to get what you want. (laughs) Okay. It sounds like you're speaking from from personal experience on this one. (laughs) Yeah. Well, in some ways it's not that bad because you can literally call the delivery driver but i didn't know that
1: for oh a while. right right well <laughs> so, cuz that's not done here
2: right yeah yeah it's mm-hmm. a different system and uh i didn't know all the ways to deal with deliveries there so it took some time i took me i ordered something from maybe 20 miles away and it took 2 weeks for it to get to me and then another one week to get it from the from the actual delivery company oh <laughs> And oh, wow. Also they have uh <laughs> several they have quite a few delivery companies, I think more than we have in the US. So depending on which one you get, the steps to deal with them might be slightly different.
0: Okay. I remember you were telling me that uh like bills and mail work a little bit differently as well. And that was that was kind of interesting to me in terms of like how you could go pay for your uh what was it, like electricity or, yeah. or your cell phone or something like S- that.
2: So your regular bills show up and they'll have like a barcode on the bill and you can go to a convenience store and just give them hand them across the counter and they'll scan the barcode and that's how you pay for your bill you buy the payment to your bill at the convenience store the convenience stores in Japan are really nice that's a uh, something that they have a step up on us if you live in an apartment here you may have a delivery go to your front office and you can pick it up at your apartment building office but in Japan there's no such office uh, I, at least I haven't seen one. But you can deliver to your convenience store and then go to the convenience store to pick up your package. Oh. Uh, you can buy concert tickets there, pay your bills there. Um, and the convenience stores are closer to mini department stores instead of the American version, which I like to think of as large vending machines.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That is kind of how they are. <laughs> I, the only thing I think you can do at interaction at these ones is like you can cash your lottery tickets. <laughs> yeah so limited options all things considered <laughs> yeah um well, you have been there for a while now you you'd uh yeah, studied year and there, a half year and a half and you'd studied there in school as well
2: um briefly okay i uh saved up to do study abroad there, but as it worked out um I could just do a six week program okay so yeah i spent uh actually i spent six weeks up north in Akita and then another six weeks in the Tokyo area. Nice. Um and you also got a bike
0: there. Uh yes. I'm curious and like we'll we'll have time to get to get into it, but um you know, just like the things that we had talked about, tell us tell us uh tell us maybe what you were looking to get and just kind of like where you were coming at solving the problem of like Ed gets a bike from how what was your approach like?
2: So initially um I guess initially initially I assumed I was going to get a bike, but it wasn't really on my mind. I was more concerned about transportation, and I expected to get a car when I went to Japan. But when I got there, the trains were more convenient than I expected, and the cars were less convenient than I expected, having to pay for parking spots and all this other stuff.
1: So did you end up getting a car and then decide, like, oh, this is not worth it, or...? You had had just from experience decided, like, okay, a car is definitely not worthwhile.
2: Yeah, I I pretty quickly decided that um, getting a car was not needed. Uh, Even without a car, just walking uh, was very convenient where I was living. The least convenient was going to work. One of my schools I was teaching at took about 25 minutes to walk to. So that's almost an hour both ways every day, um, which isn't so bad but it would be better to bike to it. Uh, If I got a car, I wouldn't be able to use it as much in the city because um, the, the roads are kind of crowded a little bit, and places are generally close together in Japan. The buildings are closer together. There's not like a housing district and a business district. It's all kind of mixed together and then clustered around the train stations. So if you want to go to a restaurant or you want to go to a grocery store, almost all those places are within walking distance. Oh. So there was not much need for a car at all, but a bike would be nice. So I started thinking more about
0: that. Mm-hmm. And when you had originally uh, looked looked into that, you were looking, if as I recall, sort of more like utility focused or you, you had mentioned there was a certain type of bicycle or certain like genre of bicycle that you'll find pretty commonly around Japan. And then there's the, the notable exceptions to those. Um, what what do you see sort of as you're going around the streets in the city? Um, like what kinds of bikes would you be most common to
2: encounter? So I've since learned that there's more variety depending on where you are in Japan. But where I am at, uh, it's almost exclusively mamachari. Mamacharis are the bike of, of uh, f- the f- preferred flavor of people who live there. Okay. Um, what are those like? So, they're a little bit like cruiser bikes, I guess. Um, they're very cheap and they have, they'll always have a basket on the front and sometimes on the back or, or a baby seat on the back. You'll see a whole families riding one of them sometimes. Oh, right on. Um, and the basket's convenient for groceries or commuter bike kind of thing. It's very cheap. Um, they also will have these kind of ring locks that go around the back wheel. So, oh, yeah, you can yeah. very quickly lock up the wheel to the bike.
1: So you don't necessarily need a, a staple or or a post to yeah. lock
2: Yeah, and then the kickstand will be on both sides and it'll just go under the back wheel. Okay. And that's sort of the standard, and um, even if you had a bike to lock to a post, most places you lock your bike, you won't have a post to lock to because bicycle parking in Japan is typically just a label on the ground that oh. says bicycle parking here. <laughs> just put
1: it in the square. Yeah. yeah,
2: you just okay. put it in the box. <laughs> So for the bikes um,
0: that are, it was Momokachi, Mama Chari, Mama Chari, Mama or Mama okay. Chari, I should say with an English Chari. R. Oh, okay. okay. Sorry. No, <laughs> that's okay. Well, it's one of the things um, that I think is like very different between a lot of like non-public uh, option bike solutions in the U.S. is like the bikes are very individualistic, uh, particularly so in Portland, where like we we tend to like identify strongly, but then there's other places like in the netherlands for example where you have like everybody just kind of like buys mostly the same type of bike like it, it, mm. as like a whole so like if one gets stolen or like somebody gets drunk and they take your bike you're like well that's okay cuz this other bike right next to my bike is about the same as the bike i had like kind oh, of deal wow. um do you get the sense that you know theft wise or just like safety wise i'm not imagining people like are swapping bikes all the time uh, but if it's all sort of homogenous in that regard it would make it pretty easy to feel comfortable just putting the i call them like a european lock for that lock on the on the back uh but you're you are not. it sounds like you're not super worried about your bike like disappearing while you're uh out teaching or shopping or something like that
2: so i have heard that if a bike is stolen in japan it's usually because there's a drunk salary man who wanted to bike home (laughs) <laughs> which is illegal in Japan. You can't do that, uh, but yeah. I've, I've heard it happen. Uh, illegal
1: here in the States as well, yes. actually. Yes, yeah. it is.
2: And uh, because of that, I've heard if your bike gets taken, there's a good chance that it will be returned in the next few days, ah. maybe the next day. People like just that want it to get that home. Like person that took it
1: home yeah. like eventually goes like, oh, I should probably put this
2: back. Yeah, maybe it's similar to the way your umbrella may get stolen in Japan. Umbrellas are extremely popular in Japan and very cheap. Buy a japanese umbrella if you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but uh um yeah, I've had my umbrella taken a couple times and it, um I like go to get it and it's wet. I'm like, "Oh, someone used this, but <laughs> it's still there." Right. Mm-hmm. They returned
0: it. So bikes as umbrellas on on the average are utilitarian.
2: Yeah, probably. Yeah. I think I, I think you were getting to Portland bikes have a lot of personality and people uh
1: I think there's certainly a lot of personality that we ascribe to our yes. bicycles. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, the red hair among horses could tell tales.
1: <laughs> Correct. Yes. <laughs> yeah,
2: I think in Japan they're um, a little simpler, cheaper tools a lot of the time, um, but it depends. There is definitely a, a biking scene in Japan. Mm-hmm. Um, I see people riding road bikes, and they almost always are decked out in the full gear for it. So I'd like to joke around that as soon as I buy a bike in Japan, they're not going to let me leave the shop until I buy all the other all the equipment, other. <laughs> too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, in your, that hasn't been the case yet. <laughs> in your shop experience,
0: so you ended up going with something a little different. Uh, t- tell us what you chose and why.
2: Well, so I started actually inspired by Guthrie, um, looking at steel frame bikes and something closer to a touring bike, although... Personally, I came from using cheap mountain bikes and used mountain bikes, so I was thinking about getting a hybrid bike, um, but gradually, as I would um, go to a shop and check it out and then sleep on it or read a little more, um, I moved into road bikes, but I decided that I should buy an endurance road bike.
1: Endurance road bike. So, Explain. I'm not entirely sure I know what that means.
2: So I think in road bikes, there's um, the really stiff ones, like racing bikes, mm-hmm. where the rigidity keeps the speed of the bike. Because road bikes, by trying to be light, um, they're they're good for racing.
0: So if you had like the the do everything all rounder end of the spectrum, and you had the purpose built only does one thing for two hours super well, the the endurance bike would be like it, it's a it's a road bike. So you have the drop handlebars and you've got like a pretty um, like you've you've got a you don't have like the fanciest gear set in the world that burns out every year, but something, you know, like close to that. So you get the the good reliability out of it. Um, And then it's it's a bike that isn't like all carbon fiber, but it does a little bit of weight saving, a little bit of, uh, you know, other measures in between to just have a nice all rounder, but within the road bike category. I, yeah. And I full disclosure, I don't know that much about endurance bikes. Oh, uh, so maybe, maybe I'm just maybe my describing what I picture
2: as one. <laughs> yeah, maybe my terminology is off. I'm pretty new to this. Oh, but, uh, I, 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 I've also, seen your bike. That that you know, description makes sense okay. to me. Yeah, as I understand it, um, the typical road bike and the road bike that you'll typically see in Japan is a race bike in that it's rigid, but an endurance bike is less rigid. It's got... Um, like uh, to cancel the vibrations so it's more comfortable. The seat will be lower in with respect to the handlebars compared to your typical uh, racing bike. And so maybe it's closer to what they use in like the Tour de France. I'm okay.
1: Not... I was thinking it sounds more like a touring bike to me. It's, like, maybe... a,
2: it's like a – well, because you got the – Yeah, mine's still a carbon frame, so oh. it's not a steel frame. It ended up being – so I don't think that's quite touring. I yeah, think touring that is definitely is a lot not... stronger, so you can load it up with bags. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I was just reading about it online, and I I saw some things suggesting that if you're getting your first road bike, it's a good idea to get an endurance bike because okay. it's more comfortable. Um, it's designed to be ridden long stretches of time right. rather than just short sprint in in sprints.
0: Mm-hmm. And it typically has uh, slightly larger tires, too. So you're running, like, a 700 by 28 as opposed to, like, a 23C or something like that.
2: Yeah, maybe both of them have wider tires. Okay. Um, I think the tire difference, at least I was seeing in Japan, is all the older bikes would have um, 23s, is that right?
0: 23s, like the super thin one?
2: Yeah, and then the newer ones can have 25s or thicker. Okay. Um
1: I know that's sort of been the trend, yeah. In yeah. general, yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: Unless you have like an aero road bike, they those will have um, frames that are designed to be a lot more aerodynamic, and those might have thinner wheels anyway. Yeah.
0: And so that's the one that you kind of you decided that it allows you to kind of get to and from where you need to go, because uh, originally you were thinking about traveling a little bit, or I'm I'm trying to recall. Uh, But it turned out you just needed, like, a good easy way to get quickly between two places. So for that, the endurance bike is kind of, like, perfect.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, the primary use is kind of commuting. Although I do, you know, as I said, if I was walking, it'd be 50 minutes. And I go to the gym, too, and sometimes I go to the grocery store. So um, I do a lot of little trips, a lot of commuting. Mm -hmm. Um, And just going out and seeing things in Japan is nice. I have that ability. I still have a lot of places in my head I want to go to that I haven't yeah. been to yet. Mm. Um like I was talking my uh my neighbor was also going out and looking at bikes with me and he got um he got like an older, more classic road bike I guess. And we were talking about going out into Tokyo. There's some nice parks around Ginza and we wanted to just bike out there. Although it's quite a trip from where we're at, but it
0: seemed really fun. Mm-hmm. The uh, bike shop experience. Tell us a little bit about your your search for a bike because you 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 weren't really like one shop and done. Uh, you were like several or or even more than that, if I remember. Um, yeah. And we were talking a little bit before the show, but I'm just curious because you would mentioned you know just coming into it from like relatively non technical standpoint as compared to somebody who's been you know riding and like getting a bike every year for 15 or 20 years or something. So like the thing that I always think about like from the bike shop perspective is like, how can you make the action or the act of riding a bike the most approachable, no matter like where you're entering into that stream from. Um, and it sounds like you, you eventually ended up with a bike, but it wasn't like necessarily always that case for some of the places that you visited.
2: Yeah. So, uh, the first bike I was thinking of getting was very different from the one I ended up getting. And part of that was learning. And part of that was just going to shops and, um, window shopping and thinking about it or talking to people, asking about what I even needed in Japan. Um, one of the first places I went was, a one of the bigger bike stores in my area, Asahi. They have a pretty good selection, a lot of momacharis, but you can find anything there. It's one of the, maybe the biggest bike shop I went to or the second biggest. Um, and I talked to some of the people there, uh, like about getting bikes stolen, for example. I thought theft is really low in Japan, you know. You don't have to lock up your bike to a post. But he was saying that where I was at in Kawagoe, the, the, there's actually a higher rate of theft. And he said, personally, he had his bike stolen four times. Oh, wow. Yeah, I was very surprised. Because yeah. <laughs> he was like a young guy who's like probably 20, 22 years old. So, I mean... I can't imagine my bike getting stolen in Japan. <laughs> I mean, it very well could be. I should be more afraid of it than I am. But it seems very safe everywhere I've gone.
1: And since it's not the, the Mamachari, it's yeah, not necessarily yeah, it going to come back to you.
2: Yes, yeah, it's, it's definitely a higher risk group. So I need to get a better lock. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have what I would use in the U.S., I should say. <laughs> ah. Um, But I started out looking at hybrid bikes, um, I learned at first it was hard to find, like searching online, but then I found, figured out that in Japanese, hybrid bikes are called cross bikes.
1: Interesting, because that takes a whole different meaning over yes. here the years. Yes. Yeah,
2: it sounds more like motocross or something, but, well, or yeah, cyclocross. Or even cyclocross. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, 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 that's true. Um, but it's korosu baiku is, uh-huh. uh from cross bike, yeah. which is their word for hybrid bike. I think that's wasego, it's Japanese constructed English. Right. So, language hurdles to get over. Mm.
1: <laughs> I wonder how much how much did the the language become a barrier because I know um for example, my girlfriend speaks fluent Spanish. Um but then when it comes to the like the more technical stuff because she never really had experience, she couldn't She's a great bike mechanic, but she could never instruct somebody in Spanish like, here's a derailleur and, you know, Mm. this is the derailleur hanger, and, you know, the more technical stuff like that.
2: Well, the vast majority of technical terms in Japanese actually come from English. Okay. So in some ways, my limited Japanese knowledge is probably less useful than just technical knowledge of of bikes. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I would go in and... All the, I think all the bike shops I went to, I was speaking Japanese rather than us speaking English. So the bike mechanics, I don't think any of them had better English than I had Japanese. And I'm still limited. So um, a few times I would struggle through conversations, but it went okay. But I, I flipped through like a few biking magazines and just looking at the parts lists, almost everything is, um, they're from English. So if you just use the English terms, I think most people would understand you there. Okay. um yeah. what was it should I go chronologically about the the bike search yeah
1: yeah yeah, yeah. okay let's, let's hear about it
2: so uh I looked at getting a bike new um the prices were higher than I expected <laughs> I hadn't you know bought a touring bike or any of that before but they cost more than I thought they did so um
1: is that? As uh, as using sort of how much things cost here in the in the states? No, or I just, is it just I, you? You didn't think they would cost that much in general? I just
2: didn't know. I think I had yeah. a conversation with Guthrie a few years ago, and he told me about a bike that he got, and I misheard the number he said. Uh. I also got it.
0: That bike, I think, I got used on Craigslist. Uh, okay, so I I got it at about half the price that <laughs> that you typically um, go for. So I I lucked out and just happened to come across the right deal at the right time because mm. um, the person i bought it from had bought uh one as a flat bar and then one as a drop bar bought two surleys just identical had them built up by river city and then rode both of them 300 miles and decided he liked the flat bar version better and so he was just looking to get rid of the drop bar version wow yeah sounds very lucky (laughs) he's super lucky yeah i was like i was i was kind of astonished actually i still um sometimes i take the max by his house when i'm out in hillsborough and i'm like i wonder if he's still there like i should just go knock on the door thank thank him for that deal of a bike he gave me right that bike up there yeah it's still kicking oh yeah 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 so um no mine mine you know i i did definitely i definitely lucked out on that purchase and that's like if you've got more time than anything else and you're on the bike hunt like it can totally work out that way um but if you're you know going to a shop and it's not like part of their clearance or they're looking to like close out inventory for some reason um yeah no it's it's i wouldn't call it a cheap sport to get into i would say like you can find good value for the money in it but that price point especially like compared to other things i think that are in that similar like mobility range like um, electric skateboards or something like that like they're they're definitely a chunk of change to to get um, like a steel frame touring bike type of deal Uh, and I think the bet with that is you're like yeah I like definitely ponied up for this but it's gonna last for 20 or 30 years hopefully so it kind of amortizes over
2: the course of its life or that's what I'm hoping on at least (laughs) (laughs) yeah so uh, I guess I was in Yokohama and I saw just in a mall I saw a bike store. I went in there and um, just looked at a few, and I asked about if they had one with a thicker wheel because I heard that's, like, a thing. And they showed me the Kona Rove, I think it was. I sent you oh. a picture of it at the mm-hmm. time. Yeah. And that's sort of, at that time, what I was thinking of getting. Um, But, you know, then I moved more into road bikes later. But the Kona Rove was a little slightly above what I was thinking my budget was at the time. And I think it's like 800, maybe. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah. I was thinking 600, and then 800 is bumping that up. And then, but then I started thinking okay, if it costs more than I thought it was, I really need to be looking at used bikes. And so I I found a few used bike stores in my town. Uh, One of them is called Baichari, they have several locations all over the Tokyo area. And um, there's another one. I don't remember the name of it. But I went to th- each of those in the vicinity. And I went to them all at least one time. And at that point, I still hadn't decided on one. <laughs> ah. And there was and, one place that wouldn't even let you test ride a bike, if I
0: recall. I yeah.
1: was going to ask, and like, how many were you able to test ride? About that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: So um, you were telling me some of the advice I got was... Test ride for 30 minutes before buying a bike. And so, at least, I was a little shy to do that in Japan if that wasn't the norm. I didn't know. Oh, right. Or what was I going to be dealing with? Um, so, the first, I think bai Chaudi was the first place I went and asked to test ride. And the guy just said, Here you go. Have fun. Be safe. And that was great. Um, as I found out later, that was not so common. <laughs> <laughs> That was great because that was, I think the, I tried this, like, what was it? I rode some, I think I rode this black arrow felt road bike that probably cost like a thousand dollars. I was going to say,
1: they put out some pretty high end stuff.
2: Yeah. And it was the first time I had ridden something like that at all. And it's, you know, I rode bikes for probably seven years through college, but, um, it had been a while. And so I was a little shaky on it, new experience. And I'm like. (laughs) <laughs> my my uh, neighbor was with me at the time looking at bikes, he was getting one himself but I came back later and he said you looked a little shaky going away down the road <laughs> <laughs> I'm like oh I didn't want to look shaky, I didn't want to worry the guy because he was so nice letting me just take off with this $1,000 bike and I probably don't know what I'm doing
0: <laughs> Riding riding's
2: how you find it out Yeah it was fun, I was like that guy that guy was really great um, so I was thinking if I should buy that But, you know, then I looked up more about road bikes and I found, oh, that's an aero bike and, you know, I should should probably get an endurance bike, so maybe this isn't the best thing in the world. And even though it seemed like a very good deal compared to the new cost, the used pricing on one website I looked at um, suggested it wasn't such a good deal, that they depreciated quite quickly. And so I don't know why. I think the, the website that had the the bike prices had a lot of holes in their database. And so mm-hmm.
0: okay. I think, was it Bicycle Blue Book?
2: Yeah, that might be right. Yeah. yeah. They, that side is to be taken with a grain of salt.
1: Yeah. I, I kind of got that impression from is looking user up. user data, data, is it not? Um, like or data. somebody sends data. in, like, okay, so I sold this at this price and it was this old when I sold it. And they kind of like plug that into their algorithm
0: maybe i've never been within on something over 500 i've never been within 200 oh yeah for like their used prices versus what reality turned out to be but it could be like portland effect uh, prices are either
1: oh, like, higher or lower I could see that, compared
0: yeah. to just because of like this like nature of the bike market in town uh so yeah it's a good point i i don't know um what was your your what would you say was your highlight experience looking for a bicycle what would you say your lowest point was looking for a bicycle?
2: Hmm. Well, finding Bychari was definitely nice. And I like that shop because it's close to where I live. So I've gone back there since I got mine for parts and registration. Um, but... Hmm. The low point was definitely when I went to... So once once I... Decided Endurance Bike. And then I looked through all these brands and all these models. I eventually was interested in uh, Specialized um, or uh, Beyond? Beyond? Bianchi. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I found, well, a a handful of others, but those were the two that I found at this bike shop. And it was a pretty big bike shop. So it seemed like. And it was almost all road bikes. I was like, "Wow, these guys are a little more hardcore, and they had a lot of used stuff." So I went there and asked to test ride it, and they just said I couldn't test ride anything.
1: You just sort of had to come in knowing what you wanted. Yeah, I mean, they limited <laughs> the, the condition <laughs> it on of the bicycle was as stated. Yeah,
2: and um, they had to put pedals on the bike. You know, they don't when they're on like the oh, display right. or yeah, whatever. Yeah. They don't have pedals on it. Yeah. So I asked to see these two bikes, and he, I asked, you know. I could sit on it, and he put pedals on one of them. He didn't even put pedals on both of them.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's so funny.
2: <clears throat> I was He put pedals on the... Excuse me. <clears throat> put pedals on the more expensive one, so maybe he was thinking that was the one I wanted more, right, right. or that was the one he wanted more. Maybe I could sell you on more? this one. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It was a little awkward. He had, he had and, miscalculated uh, it sounded... <laughs> Yeah. And then I was thinking, you know, well, I, this is, you know, I was thinking to myself, this is the one I probably want to buy. So I wanted to look more about it and sleep on it and do what I normally do. So I said I'd come back next week and I might buy it next week. And he said it would, it would cost me a, like a hundred dollar deposit to make sure it wasn't sold oh. out from under me. <laughs> I was I- like, wait, what?
1: <laughs> I'd take that risk. <laughs> yeah,
2: especially with I think it was a like a one or two year old model. Okay. and I think maybe he didn't want me to write it because it wasn't used. It was just unsold from right, right, that long ago, new old stuff. So I thought yeah. if it's two years old and it hasn't sold, chances not, are, yeah. yeah, like he's not. It's not insurance for me. It's he's just making money off of a hundred dollars. Maybe I think you saw that for what I was. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. So. Um, I immediately just did not like that shop after leaving it and thinking about it. Uh, after I left that place, I was like, okay, I really need to get a bike. Uh, this, looking has been spread out um, here and there on weekends over several months already. So I've been walking to work this whole time and, you know, this is getting a little ridiculous. My neighbor has since bought one bike and now two bikes. So he's actually oh. bought, he, he bought a, he more, got a
1: little bit of bike envy. Yeah, he bought it. a
2: more touring style cheap yeah. bike and then he got a, a, a like an old a road bike, and he's already on a second bike. And I haven't <laughs> bought one yet, so I'm like, "This is getting ridiculous. I need to, I need to like put my foot down and choose something." Um, but it's it's hard for me to sleep on it when every time I do, I learn more about bikes and my preferences shift. So I don't want to choose something that I'm gonna. My preferences are gonna shift away from. But I think point, if
1: you had committed to that hybrid that that yeah. you originally thought you. You wanted i mean
2: I, I i might be enjoying it, but um less so, right, less mm-hmm. so um, yeah, so i' I'm pretty set in getting a endurance road bike, I want something light, I want something above my old budgets that makes me feel excited to be on it and spend a lot of time on it um, i' I've I come to accept that's kind of important <laughs> yes mm-hmm. so uh I go searching online. And I go to used bike websites, and I find Baichadi has several locations around the greater Tokyo area. And I find two states or prefectures south of me, and Kanagawa is one location to look at. And they had the Specialized uh, Rube. Ro- Ro- Roubaix, Roubaix. Mm-hmm. okay. I don't want to say the uh, pronunciation. <laughs> <too> good. <laughs> the Specialized Roubaix, they had a um, 2016 model, so I wanted to go test ride that one. That was one I was considering, strongly considering. And uh, I went down to test ride it. And it was, I think I rode trains for two and a half hours to get down there. So I brought a bag with water and a few snacks. I was expecting to go on this journey. (laughs) And I go to ride it, and it's good. Um, I go back in, and I'm thinking, like, I should get this adjusted a little bit. And maybe like I'm I'm just so unsure. Like I I th- was thinking I'll buy it if there's no problems. And there weren't haven't been any problems with it. But um, after I asked to get it adjusted, I asked to go out and test ride it again and they said, Oh, you can't do that.
1: You only get one. Yeah, you get one you get one five minute <laughs> test ride. <laughs>
2: one five minute test ride? Yeah. Ah. Uh, yeah. Uh, so I wasn't too happy about that and I was like, oh, But if I blow this place off, like where am I going to go? And I have already (laughs) been searching so much. I've been thinking so much. This is pretty much the bike I wanted, and it. I haven't found any problems with it. So I just told them I would buy it, and as soon as I said that, they got a lot nicer. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds kind of like,
0: in some ways, the whole experience was like. It's that's just something that's very interesting to me. Like I, I don't know what maybe causes my perception in the difference between like buying a bike in the U S and what it sounds like your experience was in one sense, it's like sample size of one. So like all to be taken with that grain of salt, but it, it seems to me like you're just like, I want to give you money, but like you keep on like trying to like stop me from doing it or, or I think,
2: yeah, something about it. I think I hadn't told them that I was, you know, from out of town a little bit. I was a several or a few hours away so they probably thought I was in the area and I would just come by multiple times to check other bikes or something. So I I, I don't know. So if you had um,
0: one recommendation to people looking to get a bike in Japan based off of your experience, what would your recommendation be?
2: Well, if you want to get a used bike in a nice little shop that has some really friendly people, I'd say go to Chari in Kawagoe. I mean the one in Kanagawa I went to and maybe some other locations are good too. But in my experience that those were the friendliest people I talked to. Um a more mainstream get new bikes. You can get Mamachadis and or whatever. Um Asahi in Kawagoe as well. And I think both have other locations. Those those were great places, I think. Nice.
0: Cool. Well thank you for sharing your experience with us, Ed.
2: Oh, I should add that um When I bought it, it took me four hours to get home on it. You rode it home? Yes, I rode it home. Oh, (laughs) nice! So that was like you got a test (laughs)
1: ride. I was actually about to ask you like what it would be like to take that on the train. Oh,
2: so you can't take train? You can't take bikes on trains in Japan? Okay. Yeah, you can if you have a bike bag, or you get like a collapsible bike. People do that sometimes. But the general, um, the train stations aren't designed for it. The trains aren't designed for it. Things are crowded. If you were a backpack on a train, you're supposed to like put it in front of you. So um, there's people are courteous of space to the and nothing's designed for it. So unfortunately, eh, I think so. For, you
1: really had no choice but to, but uh, yeah, get home. Yeah, right basically, on. unless yeah. I
2: had asked someone to bring their truck down and pick me up. <laughs> okay, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but it, it was great going back, and they even gave me a they gave me a free water bottle. Just and filled with water just because right. like, it's a hot day. Have a good time. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Awesome. It, it was a great experience. Nice.
1: Thank you, Ed. Um, It's worth mentioning, this is our last show of the year. Oh, yeah. And I just want to say it's been a pretty decent 2019, all things considered. All things considered. Arm in a sling. I'm still, I'm still uh, closing out 2019 on a positive note.
0: Nice. We may trying,
1: trying to anyway. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, you're doing good.
1: American medical system be damned. Mm-hmm. Um But if you're looking for a place to go on New Year's Eve and everything's closed, there is one place that will be open.
0: That place is The, the beer, beer Mongers
1: on Southeast Division and Twelfth.
2: That's correct. Um Ed, what are you drinking here? I have Fatality two thousand nineteen level beer barrel aged imperial stout nice
1: as always i'm drinking the the ginger fix from lionheart lionheart
0: yes i'm sharing the fatality for it today so yum tasty now for don't don't ever use that don't worry, Tim. Uh, it's the last this... time we'll use it. Oh, I was about to say that exact oh. same thing. <laughs> well, you can say it. <laughs> no, you you got it. <laughs> it's great. Wait, is it is it really the last time? <laughs> oh, yeah, it's the last time. Don't worry, Tim. <laughs> this is the last time we'll do that in 2019. You can look forward to a, a bountiful 2020 in the year ahead. Uh, the second Thursday of every month is the Joyful Riders Club in Minneapolis.
1: The first Friday of every month, the San Francisco Bike Party.
0: The second Friday of every month, the Boston Bike Party.
1: Also the second Friday of every month is the Indianapolis Bike Party.
0: Also, also the second Friday of every month, the East Bay Bike Party.
1: The third Friday of every month is the San Jose Bike Party. I'm coming oh. your way, San Jose.
0: Nice. That rhymed. Last oh, Friday of every total month. Total
1: unintentional.
0: <laughs> the Baltimore Bike Party.
1: I'm going to party hardy at the ball. Oh, okay. (laughs) Uh, The first Sunday, or sorry, the first Saturday of every month here in Portland (laughs) is the Civil Unrest ride. And I want to say real quick, shout out to the Civil Unrest Bike Club, because they got a good sit down with uh, Portland mayoral candidate, Sarah Iannarone. And I just want to say... Great job getting a sit-down chat with them talking about transit and uh, handicap access Yeah, um, in the public sphere. It's great. Absolutely. And shout-out to Sarah for taking the time to listen. Mm-hmm. The every second
0: Sunday of every month right here in Portland is the Eye Bike Club Ride.
1: The last Sunday of every month is the Vintage and Classic Ride in Huntsville, Alabama.
0: And upcoming Film by Bike tour dates, Ashland, Oregon, January 9th boise idaho january 17th la california february 9th seattle washington february 28th idaho falls idaho march 5th and pittsburgh pennsylvania march 22nd
1: now for what can compare with the thrill of a brand new bike i like my bike
0: Lime scooters in Portland restricts its winter service or its service to
1: to winter service
0: to winter service winter zone. It was funny because Brock sent us this uh, headline and I I usually put them on a stack and then put them in the show at the end of the week. Uh Um, But I got back from uh, St. George two days ago and got in at about midnight and the buses were being a little funky close to MLK when I got kind of to the transit mall there. So I just start walking north on MLK at like 1230 or so and get up towards uh, Multnomah Street or something like that and start Uh thinking, you know, okay, every time I text the, the like, when is it coming number on the bus stop, it says 10 minutes. And it's like, I'm walking and it's driving, but it's, it's just consistently <laughs> saying 10 minutes. And lo and behold... <laughs> you're,
1: you're walking faster than the, so, uh, the, ap- the bus. Apparently,
0: I mean, they, they do, like, kind of a stop around that area if they're oh. ahead of time. So, like, it could have just true. been that. Yeah. Um, but uh, I was like, you know what? I'll just take a Lime scooter. And I went and I, like, turned on the app and I found a scooter that was, like, literally in front of me by, like, 30 feet. And I was like, whoa, there's, like, so many scooters here. And so I go to, like... Uh, to, to chime it on and then it like shows this thing that's like winter service alert oh, we're now wow. restricted and yeah. i was like oh the reason why there's like 30 lime scooters in this block oh they all moved them is, well it's because yeah. it's the end of the service district
1: yeah <laughs> so oh. oh are you outside the district now yeah yeah well oh, there's this sucks. whole swath yeah. yeah uh
0: yeah well i don't know if we have time for me to fully delve into my <laughs> opinion on yeah. that but what i will say is lime lost itself so paying customer Right. Uh, A couple days ago because they chose to kill their service district just north of Lloyd Center.
1: Well, it's interesting. Yeah. I'm trying not to go too far into this either because we're under a bit of a time constraint. We'll catch up to it. Yeah. Maybe we'll swing by this again next week. But just there's they've eventually created two islands. They've Mm -hmm. got the inner east side and some of the west side, mm-hmm. and then the outer east side. Which I'm actually super happy. Like, if it, I'm comes, glad they kept the outer east side. If it's between but like me
0: losing there's... service and the east side losing service, I'd much rather the east side keep service. Like, okay. if it has to be between those two, I am okay with that.
1: <laughs> Except if you live out in the east side and are trying to come west. Ooh, I hadn't thought of that. Or vice versa.
0: Yeah, because you've slows, got that
1: gap to cross.
0: And it says it slows down to three miles an hour in the no-go zone. So, oh yeah! Yeah, yeah! <laughs> they, it throttles the scooter to three.
1: Oh man! So it's not like you could rent one in one, no, one island, so to speak, and well, you, ride it across to the next island.
0: You could, but it would take you about thirteen times longer than it oh, typically Jesus. would. And
1: <laughs> and classically, those are not allowed on transit. This is true, and
0: sounds like we got something to figure out in twenty twenty. Mm, yes. Um, also. Speaking of uh, ride sharing and things changing.
1: Oh, the uh, volatile state of global mobility landscape.
0: Is what ShareNow said (laughs) when they stopped their sharing program.
1: Oh, in conjunction with its shareholders at Daimler AG and the BMW Group. Yeah, I have no problem shouting like or putting a light onto this. Uh, ShareNow has decided to exit the North American Market and cease operations in London, Brussels, and Florence, effective February twenty ninth. Yes, it's, it's those been Those car shares that you used to get in Seattle, also formerly here in Portland, yep, and various other cities here in the U.S. will be no more.
0: This is true, and we'll unpack that more yeah. on an, on a future episode when we've got a little bit more time. I,
1: well, we'll just tease that out, and I would okay. love to hear who else is affected. Yeah, I've let us know. kind of gone on my three minute rant when they cut cut and run out of Portland mm-hmm. um, I would like to hear other people rant now that they're pretty much the entire continent mm-hmm. and and then some.
0: Yeah. yeah or if you're still using it and you're not on this continent let us know how it's going. <laughs> Is the service changing at all? Uh, I want
1: to know who's left. Yeah <laughs> uh, <laughs> We'll get back to that <laughs> um,
0: Yes so yeah it's the, the you know 2020 marks the changing of many things one of them appears to be our rideshare and uh, alternative transit uh, like I'd call it, like alter mobility, as opposed to like public transit option, right. if you will. Um, but what that does lead us you nicely. Know, yes, oh.
1: we don't have many car share options here, any in the United States. But what we do have,
0: we have. We got
1: mail. Hey, we got mail. First up from Paula, uh, in regards to studs chains, and salt. Infrastructure and equipment are just a portion of tools for slicky roads. The most important tool is driving skill, adapting to conditions, safety first. I've used studless tires on my vehicles, have always been able to get around, including Timberline Lodge, no slip. On my bike, I've used studless tires, very good, and no awful noise. Recently, I've built up a studded fat bike Wheel set nice. magical riding. I the worst it. part of being out there is the unknowing what others are going to do. Nothing can necessarily protect you from that. That but is so true, true
0: Paula. <laughs> That's why, like, even if you do have chains that you can put on your car in Portland, it's still good to not drive the oh, first man. three or four days. <laughs> if you can I, help it.
1: I I shouted after a car <laughs> this afternoon as oh, I was yeah? walking, like, What do you need studs for?
0: Mm it's it, very dry no snow here it's very yeah. <laughs> dry this winter yeah ours i would i am happy to report back uh did come in handy we hit some spots of ice and uh one of the overpasses that i didn't con- like it it was incredibly benign it's like a old back road down near lakeview and we come over the crest and there's a flagger and an 18 wheeler had managed to lay itself in its oh, cargo yeah do you heard about that yes i have we hopped we came on it if we're talking about the know. same thing, we came upon that not more than 20 minutes after it oh happened uh, on our way down. So, like, you know, we we didn't have to, like, slide off the freeway to find out that our studs worked. Uh, <laughs> but I was very happy yeah. that we had them in light of um, seeing some other wow. people have, yeah. you know, uh, much more severe consequences for driving in that part of the state. Um, so... I guess I would uh, postface this with I hope they're okay. I didn't know that uh it was you know any well, more than a local event.
1: And I keep a, I kind of watch okay. traffic news a lot. Gotcha. It's kind of a, a morbid fascination of mine. Ah, uh, well, yeah. yeah, I hope they're
0: okay yeah, and that yeah, that everybody's so. all right. Um, um we have from John Re Broken Collarbones. Oof. We can be humorous
2: buddies.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, Aaron, not fun. Uh, Yours looks worse than mine did. My only advice, in all caps, do the physical therapy. Rehabilitating the shoulder 20 years later is not a good
1: time. Thank you. You have joined the chorus of several, of dozens who've told me, yes, do physical therapy. In fact, uh, one such friend of mine said, he was very surprised that they hadn't already prescribed any kind of physical therapy. Yeah. That is a bit over. odd. Well, I was told not to really do anything with it at no. all. So that <laughs> that's their physical therapy so far. Luckily
0: we have uh, our savvy listeners to give us. And on the subject of,
1: of the broken collarbone, I just want to give a special thank you to everybody who's lent their support, both morally and uh, physically like coming in and saying like, Hey, what's up? Um, people at work have actually like made meals for me. <laughs> it's really cool. Not necess- not totally necessary, but thank you. I totally appreciate it. Um, uh, I don't know if this person wants to be shouted out. Um, I'll ask their permission and we'll strike it from the record later, but 503 on Instagram, you thank you very much for uh, contributing to uh, at least my emotional rehabilitation. <laughs> um, and you know, what's up. So yeah, thank you for that.
0: We have another letter from Arn in Germany. It says Dear Aaron, thank you for answering my question about your Brompton in episode four hundred ninety five. Relating to that, you asked about bicycling lighting in Germany. According to former law, a dynamo powered lighting system was mandatory in Germany, no exceptions, but that law was reformed in two thousand seventeen. Reformed. Yeah. Wow uh since uh 2017 a lighting system is only mandatory when needed so in daylight it doesn't have to be permanently attached to a bike that made battery-powered systems possible which can be taken off and on the bike if the system is not permanently attached to the bike it has to be taken on a ride when it is foreseeable that the ride will end or begin in darkness otherwise the bike may not be used from the moment of when lighting is needed
1: so some thinking ahead is required
0: yes driving transiting Requires foresight and planning. Yes. The change in law was a success for the bike lobby. Most racing bikes never had lighting systems, and the growing number of off-road bikes had no dynamos, too. People rode these bikes anyway and used battery lights, so the law simply made legal what was happening on the street. That's pretty cool. That's like a yeah. very... That, that's uh, progressive, is what it's you call worth, that.
1: Yeah, and it's worth noting that most... When I was researching dynamos, most dynamo companies like suggested this is not for off-road use. Yeah. There's, uh, yeah. So there is that sort of conflict if you have an off road Mm -hmm. bike or a bike that you use for off road, and then the old uh, pre reform, I guess, law in Germany would be in conflict with that.
0: Yeah. Well, it sounds like you've got kind of the best of both worlds now. Yeah. Um, In Europe, the regulations for bicycle lighting vary in detail from country to country. So if you do long distance over borders, it may happen that your lighting system is not 100% according to local regulations. The biggest difference seems to me that some countries allow flashing rear lights, others do not. Uh, I also heard that police will not complain if a lighting system is legal in a country the bike is originally located in. I never verified that because I've never had any problems. The Brompton, once again. Mine is an absolutely black, black edition, 2020 M6L. Handlebar M-type, 6-speed, fenders, but no hub dynamo. The hardest choice was if to take an S or M-type handlebar. In the back of my mind is the idea of maybe doing a long distance with the brom with the Brom-y. Nice, I like that. One yes. day, is that
1: that's that's common. Nice. Okay. So yeah, <laughs> that's, I'm, that's, I'm not a I'm not a brom a, a bromier. <laughs> uh,
0: <laughs> the fact that uh, Tim Mooney doesn't have an S type and the Brompton Explore Special Edition also has an M type made me choose the M type. I will see if that was the right choice. For I have no hub dynamo, I will use a battery powered or I will use battery powered lights. I hope I don't forget them when needed. The seller from the bike shop explained to me that if I wanted high quality lighting, the only acceptable, only acceptable. The only acceptable system <laughs> uh, would be complete Schmidt Sun setup. I think Supernova would would have a word or two about that. <laughs> um, <laughs> hashtag Team Supernova. Uh, the new shutter precision dynamo, which are also super sweet guthrie's inflection m- mine uh <laughs> would be nearly as good as the sun and much better than the former shimano but he didn't like the front light i will upgrade the brompton and my old brook c17 saddle which i rode on my touring bike before i chose a carved all-weather type i already installed black aluminum easy wheels from sun sun makes a special edition of those wheels for the hamburg brompton junction store oh, that is right cool. And there's a link here too uh which we should include I'm, in our yeah, episode posting i
1: am going to follow that link uh,
0: Arne says, "Please excuse the faults in my English. You're amazing, Arne. Don't yeah. even worry about it. Yeah, uh, you're you're great, friend. Uh, it used to be much better back in high school. Well, I'd I'd say it's pretty damn well and good right now. So
1: <laughs> <laughs> I think so.
0: No worries. Uh, happy holidays, uh, and happy holidays to you as well, Arne. Uh He says he can't wait to ride his Brompton. Yes.
1: Um, one more from Richard Wazinski in Texas uh, about bike laws. He says." Uh, Sorry, my bad on my last comment about Texas bike laws meant to say feet, not inches. That made a lot more sense. a
0: small difference.
1: (laughs) (laughs) All right. Shall we do it? I believe we have reached the end of all things. We have.
0: Happy 2019, everyone. The end of 2019, yes. If you're listening to this in 2020, write us and tell us how the future is. The Sprocket Podcast is produced at X-Ray Studios thanks to the generous support of X-Ray Studios.
1: Our website is thesprocketpodcast.com.
0: Email to thesprocketpodcast at gmail.com.
1: Call or text at 503-847-9774.
0: Twitter and the Instagrams at Sprocket Podcast.
1: Thanks to Ryan J. Lane for our theme music. Hurtbird
0: for our headline sounder.
1: Marcus Norman for graphic design.
0: And thanks to our sustaining donors, Shadowfoot, Wayne Norman, Eric Iverson.
1: Cameron Lean, Richard Wazinski, Tim Mooney.
0: Len Kubish, Matt Kelly, Eric Weiss.
1: Todd Parker, Dan Gebhart, who's a, a time traveler. traveler,
0: Dave knows. Chris Smith, Caleb Jenkinson, JP Cooley, Peanut Butter Jar Matt, Marco Lowe, Rich Otterstrom.
1: Andrew in Colorado, Drew the Welder, Anna, I'll be home soon.
0: Andre Johnson, King of Division, Richard G.
1: Guthrie Straw, who's sitting across the table from me. What? Aaron Green, author of We Were Like Sons, and founder of the Reed Grainery.
0: Campsite, Macnur's David, Nathan Poulton.
1: Chris Rawson, Rory in Michigan, Michael Flournoy.
0: Jeremy Kitchen, David Belay, Tim Coleman.
1: Mary Hugel, E.J. Finner, and Brad Hipwell. Thomas Gato, Keith Hutchinson, Ranger Tom. Joyce Wilson, Ryan Tam. Jason
0: Oftenberg, Microcosm Publishing, David Moore.
1: Todd Grosbeck, Chris Barron, Chris, Chris Barron. Barron,
0: Chris, Chris Barron. Barron. Sean, Baird, Simon, Gregory Braithwaite. Ryan
1: Morrow, Dude Luna, Matthew Rooks. <coughs> Marshall, Paula at Funatake Cyclecraft, and thanks for writing in. Thank you. Philip M. Dale, no relation.
0: Mr. T. Who Never Really Left, Bike Initiative Kiwana Sarah G.
1: Adam D. Go Dig a Hole, Beth Hammond.
0: Greg Murphy, and our newest donor,
1: Mayra Martinez. And all of our former donors who helped us get this far.
0: Now brush our teeth.
1: And...